Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. other stuff just because how well, they tried. Listen, man, I I really like this film. I think this is the last great swashbuckling film. Quite arguably the best filmmaker of our generation. And then they like it and they tell their friends and it kind of balloons from there. But when you're... Two free plugs are in the show. Let's do a video game. <laughs> uh, it, it's probably true. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Bowen. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe what we don't love about it, and decide whether the movie is worth a revisit. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. So, that's it. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Well, like when you started, I was like, what? We're starting? I, I was singing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I'm ready now. How you doing? Doing all right. How are you? I'm okay. It's been a while. It has been a while. Been well, a couple, not, not for them. They don't know. Not that. for them, but we did take a week off because somebody had to go on vacation. That that was me. Yeah. And I'm going again. So, so we'll take, be taking another week off. But yeah, she, it will not affect anyone in our weekly cast. Right. We're usually like... Eight or nine episodes ahead. We are. So. We are ahead. So it, now we're like five episodes ahead. No, 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 no. I think we're back. <laughs> well, then we'll have to double up. We'll have to do two episodes a day. We're going to do three episodes a day for you guys. That's a lot I of movies to watch. That's a lot of movies to watch. Um, yeah, no. So just, you know, I'm doing all right. Doing well. That's cool. That's ready cool. to talk about movies. Ready to talk about movies. Ready to talk about the Sugarland Express. One of the few Spielberg films I have not seen. I've even seen Duel, which wasn't actually a theatrical release. Uh, I have not seen in its entirety. I have not seen the color purple. Um, that's one, and I think that's it for the only ones that I have not seen. His, I I saw his short Amblin. Um, I've seen pieces of yeah, it. but I don't remember a lot of it. I almost rewatched it because a lot of the stuff in Sugarland Express reminded me of Amblin, and that, I didn't. Uh, I got confused because I noticed a couple of the screenshots when I was looking up Sugarland Express looked kind of like Amblin. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense because this is his first big studio film, right? Um, and and if anyone out there doesn't under- realize it yet, I'm a I'm a big time Spielberg fan, and not because it's you know I'm a douchey guy who likes Spielberg because he's quite arguably the best filmmaker of our generation, and I will verbally fight anybody, not not physically fight, but I will discuss <laughs> that with you. Before we get into the movie, quick note on Spielberg. I don't know. When I first started making movies and writing and 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 getting involved in all this, Spielberg was somebody that I started watching and it was like hip and cool by, uh, I, I say kids, but they were my age, to for people to diss Spielberg. Most of people going to film school because it wasn't like, you know, like he wasn't hip. He wasn't, you know, it was like, because everyone always said like, he's really good and people just kind of like... Well, no, 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 he's not. Quentin Tarantino is hip. He's good. Well, I like Quentin Tarantino's work, some of it. But Spielberg is, is I don't understand why some people just dismiss him because everything he does, you can keep watching and rewatching. Like I can watch Jaws was on the other day and I flipped it on and I was just like, oh, Jaws is on. And I watched the whole movie. Well, I think that speaks to his his work. It's so good, but it's so universally loved. 
And I think it, it, it can reach a broad audiences. And I don't think people like that, especially a lot of cinephiles, especially a lot of people like when I went to film school, it was the yeah. same way. Quentin Tarantino, you got to like them. It's it's not cool to like um, Greg Araki, who's who's decent. Right. Yeah. Um, it's I think or it's an Aronofsky film. Right. Or something like that. It's something avant garde is that's cool. Right. Well, it's it's it speaks to the person that's saying it because they're trying to they're trying to signal themselves out single themselves out by saying like, Hey, I, I like this guy that nobody else likes. I'm, I'm an auteur like them, like that right. kind of thing. And it's not, it, it, people have to stop, stop being shamed, shamed of liking a Spielberg movie, his movie. He's a great, great, great storyteller. He's so good that when you watch a movie like Jaws, there are continuity errors in Jaws, but you don't care because it, the, you're engrossed in the movie and that's his genius. Right. So I guess you can probably figure out that I'm probably going to like Sugarland Express before we get <laughs> into it. But okay. But I'm uh, honestly, I'm probably going to keep talking about Spielberg with the entire episode. So I'll, let me get into like, it's hard not to talk. About. I mean, this is a Spielberg <laughs> movie. This is like one of the only chances we're going to get really to talk. This is true about Spielberg. Cause it wasn't long after this, that he really blew up. Like there are a couple of movies that didn't really hit that hard. Like I've, I don't think I've seen the movie always. Yes, you should. I should see all his films. Yeah, that's true. But ha, get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's there's too many after before Jaws, right? It, it's well, this is this is he did Jaws I, after I, this. I know he did Jaws yeah. after. I'm saying once Jaws happens, oh yeah, he becomes Steven Spielberg. Right. Well, th- this, the name yeah. becomes yeah, yeah. This is his first movie that was released wide to theaters, and and that's a good segue to go into some production facts. So this movie was released wide on April fifth. 1974 so it, it now usually when we're doing looking back in terms of like when we was released and the dates it's pretty much i've got it all listed out when we start getting to the older movies like i think when we had sorcerer this movie and the star chamber those are like our older movies that we did right it's a little hazy in terms of like what's a wide release day what's a limited so I had different dates, but it was uh, for Sugarland. Sugarland was initially uh, a limited release in February, I believe. So, and it was actually meant to be released in the fall of 73. um, But Universal didn't want it to compete with another one of their movies, which was releasing the same time, which was The Sting, which is a very good idea on their part because this thing is awesome. This thing is really good. That features Robert Redford, Paul Newman. Uh, you uh, You should watch that. Uh, so anyways, so this came out wide April 5th and it came up against uh, Foxy Brown. Have you seen Foxy Brown? I have seen Foxy yeah. Brown. And, uh, and then it came up against uh, The Conversation, which came out April 7th, so a couple days later. I have no idea what that is. You've never seen The Conversation? So I the, don't think so. Wow. Did you see Enemy of the State? Yeah. Okay. That is Gene Hackman's in that. Gene Hackman is supposed to be playing the same character from The Conversation in Enemy of the State. That's one with Will Smith, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the conversation is Francis Ford Coppola and the conversation is about um, uh, a conversation is overheard and you realize it's like this like government plot and these people are on the run and Gene, ha- Gene Hackman's the, the lead in it. You really I'm should, adding the, this you really should watch list. the conversation. The conversation is a really good movie. That's I, I didn't know Enemy of the State had a character that was like it's a po- it's, I don't, pretty cool. I'd have to look I'd have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he's I don't know if they out and out say it. But he's supposed to be the same so character. It's like one of those sly things. Kind of. like, all right. I believe so. It's because the enemy of state is kind of the same premise, except it's a little updated. Um, the conversation is really good. I can't believe you never saw that. I've never even heard Shame. of it. And it's got 
Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, who's who's fantastic. Okay, so as you put that down on our list, um, <laughs> the movie that came out. So I said April fifth for this move for Sugarland Express. Uh, before the the Sugarland Express came out in uh, March 29th was The Great Gatsby. That's with the Robert Redford and Mia Farrow, Great Gatsby. Did I've you see that, that as okay. well? Okay, all right. So, so it, it, it's in there with, with a couple good, you know, a couple good uh, movies. It's rated PG. It's 110 minutes. Budget of $3 million. Domestically, it came pulled down $7.5 million total. It did not get released internationally. Uh, it's probably atypical of movies back then. Mm. Um, or maybe they just don't have that number. Probably was released... DVD or something, VHS. Oh, I'm DVD. sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. So at some point, Spielberg's films probably went out. Oh, yeah. Um, I did, though, I did look up the adjusted numbers of what it pulled down. So 7.5 million in today's terms would be 36 million total. So, I mean... was that bad for a small I, I would film? assume that, like, with inflation and, and just basically in terms of, like, how many screens a movie gets on, I don't... It's probably was a... This movie was lauded, but a lot of critics were 50-50 on it. Yeah. But, but you in this movie... I think, and I'll get into it. You can kind of see the beginnings of Spielberg and like I what he's going that, to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you didn't know already, this was directed by Steven Spielberg. It's written by <laughs> Hal Barwood uh, and Matthew Robbins. Now, uh, and the story is by those two guys and Spielberg. So Spielberg, they all came up with the story and these two guys wrote it. Now, Barwood wrote MacArthur and Dragon Slayer. He wrote those with Robbins. Uh, Robbins on his own. Uh, wrote Batteries Not Included, Mimic, Crimson Peak, and he's actually writing uh, the Pinocchio live action that they're doing in 2021. We've got a couple of those films on our uh, Forgotten Cinema list. Yes. What are talking about? For batteries Not Included. Batteries Not Included. Mimic, I believe, is on Do there. Do we put Mimic on there? We should. I, I like Mimic. You don't like Mimic? This is another conversation. Really? You don't like Mimic, the first no. Mimic? No. Mr. Silver Shoes or what? Is Spoon Shoes or whatever? Some. Oh, uh, really? You don't like it? No. <laughs> no, you're not putting that on the list unless you want me to yell at you for an hour. Uh, I put Blank Man on the list, so uh, I'll we're never doing we're list. never doing Blank Man next week. guys. Never doing Blank Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to Sugarland uh, shot in Texas. Uh, this was the so I got a couple of. You know, I got a couple of technical notes here, but I want to go right into I just want to go into what it's about because I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go into the cast, too. So this stars uh, Goldie Hawn as Lou Jean, William Atherton as Clovis. And I think that's actually Spielberg's dad's name. I think I, I looked that up. But I didn't I didn't research. I didn't double check that. You might remember William Atherton from Die Hard who plays yeah. the reporter and from Ghostbusters. He's actually not a dick in this movie. So I, I was mean, shocked. Be, exactly. The movie starts out, though. You think he might. Have <laughs> Stars Ben Johnson as Captain Tanner. Now, Ben Johnson's claim to fame. He's a, he's a really good actor, but he's also he was a stuntman for like Gary Cooper and John Wayne, a lot of the old Westerns. And then he like he was a rancher, was a stuntman. Uh, went back to ranching and like couldn't like wasn't making a lot of money. So he was like, there's more money in, in Hollywood. So went back out to L.A. And then he now he made that transition from stuntman to actor. And he's had a huge career. Um, and then Michael Sachs as Lieutenant Slide. He's Lieutenant. Yeah, Slide. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's Lieutenant. I think she talks about how he's going right, to. Right, 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 right. OK, so Slide. We'll call him Slide. And uh, he is from you might remember him from Slaughterhouse Five and the original Amityville Horror, mm -hmm. not the multiple remakes. Right. Okay, so I want to go on the cast. Those are the four main cast members. Uh, so real quick, this movie is about, it's, it's basically Lou Jean and Clovis. They're husband and wife. Lou Jean gets out of prison 
and she goes straight to go see Clovis, who is in a pre- he's in prison, but he's in a pre-release. So he's he's about to be released from prison. He's got four months left. Right. I guess it's it's kind of I want to say it's more lackadaisical, but it's just kind of like, you know, like because you're going to get released. So there's really no reason to escape. They're also are, more like white collar. Yeah, it's, it's not. He's, he's not yeah. like big time. Yeah. Texas Penitentiary. So she goes and visits him. She tells him that they had a child when they went into prison. They both got went into jail. Um, I think they went in for robbery or larceny or larceny. Yeah. The child that's their child is with a foster family. This is all before you see Lugene getting off because the image, the first image is her getting off the bus and walking to the pre-release to see Clovis. So everything I'm about to tell you has happened before that, which we don't see. She gets out of prison. She goes to get her child. They tell her the child's with the foster family and he's going to stay there and they're going to adopt him. She doesn't like that. So she, so she goes and gets goes to Clovis and she says we need to, she wants to break him out of prison break him out of pre-release and she wants to go and get their child and and just you know that's what they want to do that's her whole plan we're going to get you out we're going to go down there we're going to drive down cuz he's in the sugarland he's in sugarland right. they're going to go to sugarland get him and go that's that's the plan that is her plan nobody breaks out of pre-release <laughs> that's just stupid why don't you going to run off thought you said your old lady was in the juke mail oh no she's done her time and she's out on her own I'm going to call the guard for your own good. And this is stupid. You be. You be. You don't understand. You be. They took my boy to Beta Langston. What the hell are you talking about, boy? A guard? Mm. Ain't nobody been a fussy before the long So she goes there. She breaks him out. Uh, real easy. Uh, they, they end up they end up getting in a car of of uh, one of the inmates that he is friends with. Their parents. They get in that car and then uh, they drive off. And he's driving so slow that a cop pulls him over, which is slide. And then they freak out because they think they're getting pulled over because they're in the back seat. They speed off. Slide chases after them. They crash. Uh, they end up getting Slide's gun and they end up kidnapping him and putting him in his police car. And they drive to Sugarland. Now you listen, Mister. So far, it's Grand Theft Auto, speeding, driving to a danger. You got uh, resisting arrest, threatening an officer, hindering an officer in the performance of his duty, illegal possession of firearms and assault. But if I get in that car, you got kidnapping. That's fact. <laughs> And what ends up happening after that is Ev, they basically are found out that this is happening and the police start this huge chase, which is kind of like they're just kind of almost like for people now, you might remember the Ford Bronco chase with OJ Simpson. It's very similar to that where they're not they're just driving and the cops are right behind them driving. And it, it just ends up being like cops from all over. There's got to be like 50 to 60 police officers just following them. And their main thing is to get to Sugarland to get their child and drive off to, in the sunset, mm-hmm. which does not happen. Um, but that's the, that's the, that's the genesis of the plot. And we'll get into what actually does happen. Um, if you have not seen the Sugarland Express, you should, because we're going to, we're going to reveal some spoilers as we go along. I think you already just did. No, I didn't. When you said, uh, it doesn't end all. Well, it doesn't, I didn't tell you what happens. (laughs) So go watch it. Come back. Welcome back. All right. So, I mean, that's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. You had not seen this movie. No. At all. I had, I saw this movie a long time ago. This is probably my, this is my second viewing. So I was curious if it would hold up for me. I mean, I, 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 I kind of thought I would like it because I like Spielberg. And I think a lot of my notes and a lot of stuff we're going to talk about it, for me is a lot of the filmmaking stuff. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of stuff that I noticed in terms of just like shot selection and blocking. I think, yeah, I think just because, I mean, I was looking at that stuff more as well, but I, I think that's because I'm watching an early Spielberg film. It's a Spielberg film I've never seen before. So when you watch movies, usually you're watching the acting, you're watching the writing, you're watching a little bit of everything. But I feel like when you're watching a Spielberg film, especially when you're, if you're a cinephile, especially if you're a fan of Spielberg, like we both of us are, you're watching more for him than anything else. So you, well, you kind of focus on his stuff more than well, you, he, he, his direction. His, we've seen so many of his movies that his storytelling technique comes through. Right. And you, I mean, like, I don't know if I could, but if, if I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, I anyone, if I see a scene, I know it's his movie. So I'm, I, you know what I mean? But like, if I didn't know, and let's say like he went off and shot, let's say he just went off and shot like 10 scenes of nothing. None of his movies shot 10 scenes. And then, they mix it in with scenes from other movies I've never seen, and they show me the scenes. I I could probably pick out the ten, I, or I could be like, "That's that seems like a Spielberg scene right there." Like, you know what I mean? Like when you see camera movement and stuff like that. Like he moves the camera a lot. Right. There are a couple of times in this that it doesn't look like a Spielberg film yet, though. Okay. There are a couple of moments where it's like, "Oh, I can see it starting," but then there's a couple of moments where it's like, "This is pretty average." Well. I'll, not that but, I don't like the movie, but no, there's no, some no, like that's shots fine. And, like the you direction can, is very. Similar. You cannot like the movie; it is completely fine. I, it's all right. <laughs> it's fine. No, I understand that. One of the things I was going to say was the the opening shot when it starts on the state of Texas and it pulls back. I, I like that. Bus shot a gets lot. off. It starts tracking. Like that shot is him. Now that shot's shaky, and I, and I was trying to figure out if like is this a dolly? Is this? Is this somebody handhelding it on a platform? Like I couldn't figure out that shot because it wasn't smooth. I'm fine with that not being smooth, but it was it was a it was like, you know, it pulls back. You see the entire sign. You see the bus. You'll ever see her until like she's walking like until, it comes yeah, around. Comes, yeah, it comes focuses around the on the car. guy in the car. Yeah. One of the things that I enjoy about his movies and in terms of like what I like in this movie and what I like in other movies of his is that he always his his especially the older ones. The ones from the seventies and early eighties. Uh, his move, his camera movement is organic to the scene. So he has an organic sense of nature to the shots. Where when she goes to see Clovis and she first sees him, she yells at him, and then they walk through uh, to go sit down to go kind of like they're in the background and they walk in to become part of the foreground. Right. The camera tracks with them and the camera's tracking with them, but like they're blocked. They're blocked by people talking. They're blocked by having conversations. You don't see them all the time, but they're still the conversation you hear, but you could hear other people talking. It, it, that kind of organic, like we're there. That makes me feel like I'm there. I'm not sitting back in a theater watching it. I'm at that pre-release standing there as I'm the camera. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that his, he does that so well. He does that in Jaws as well. When Brody gets the phone call, for to find out that the, the swimmer on the beach is dead and the for, the shot is in the foreground and in the background the, the mother is with one of their sons on the sink because he got a cut you hear them talking and you hear brody talking right it's natural it's right, right. It, it does that in close encounters of the third kind when he's at the table it's, it's a complete mess and he's at the table he's building the thing and you just hear everyone screaming he does that in et when all the kids are in there like to me i i love that that's real life that's I'm not well, I'm watching a movie, but I'm watching something that like I can relate to in terms of storytelling, in terms of just my interaction with it. He has such an organic sense of where the camera should be, the shot, the movement that I don't I don't see that a lot in today for a lot of people. Well, they block it like it's a movie. They block right. it almost in a sensibility of film school, almost in a sensibility of 
blocking a stage play. Right. Putting your main character front and center, making sure everything's clear around them, making sure everything's kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. You side characters play stand here. Now you stand here to make it maybe visually appealing, but not real. Like you say, mm -hmm. not natural. Mm -hmm. Not give it that sense of, okay, I'm a real person. Especially when he does movies like you're listing Close Encounters, you're listing E.T., you're listing Jaws. These are family movies. And he does so much about family. So much of his movies are about family this one's about family oh yeah so you've got to have that kind of feeling of you know families talk over each other it's, yep. it's loud it's i mean you got three kids you must know <laughs> it's loud it's it's not just like everyone's quiet when the main character is talking that's not life right no exactly exactly and i i i actually i think that i suffer from trying to get everything too perfect in terms of like not not when we're shooting it but in terms of just kind of like setting up stuff on in my own shorts and and you know, I try to make it like, oh, it's got to be like this. And, you know, like, you know, in, in big crowd scenes. Right. Yeah. You know, the two characters, two main characters are talking. The background actors are pretending they're talking like to me. It's like, I don't uh, let them talk. I mean, like, I, 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 I really wish I was more like him in terms of just kind of like that's what it is. Like when you ever hear the phrase, I always say this phrase to you, there's shadows in life. Yeah. When people are like lit and like, oh, there's a shadow going in their face. I go, well, there's shadows in life. Who cares? I mean, like. That's not what's important. I don't care if they're in and out of the shadow. Like, you know, like that stuff like that. I wish right. I was more in terms of my filmmaking, more just not concerned with that so much, just concerned with the the acting or the or the like I don't I don't know if you notice this when we're shooting, but when we're doing a scene, like I'll check when we have the monitors, I'll check the monitor, I'll look mm -hmm. and like or I'll tell like whoever I'm working with, how does it look great? And I'll I'll just make sure the shot and I'll talk about how I want the shot frame, but when we're shooting, I don't, I don't, I'm not watching the monitor. I'm watching you guys act. Right. Yeah. Right. Because that's to me, I want that reaction. I want to see it. Like I want, like I tell, I mean, anything I write or anything that, you know, like I say, like I want to be the audience. So I want to watch you do it. I want it to work in real life. I don't care if it, it if it's, if it, I trust the guys behind me to tell me if it's not in shot, like I'll turn around, and be like, how did it look? They say like, well, he dipped out a little bit. Then we just make the arrangement. I prefer to watch the action in front of me, not on the monitor. Which I, is what the audience is going to be looking right. for anyway. They're not going to be paying attention to make sure everything's natural and perfect. Right. I'm pretty sure he does that as well. I have noticed in his newer films, we look at Sugarland Express, you look at E.T., you look at Close Encounters. They're all shot with a very naturalistic lighting. Mm -hmm. And then you look at some of his newer films like War Horse, Lincoln, um, Bridge of Spies. I almost called it Bridge of Lies for some reason. <laughs> um, those are lit a little... They're almost lit like floodlights. He's gotten into a lot of hard lighting. He's gotten yeah, into a lot it's, of like, it's, it's like, you, not like in Minority Report. Yeah. yeah. You hear that you see that like light that shines you in the eye and stuff like that. And you're like, oh. I'm okay with the lens flare. No, um, he does, it's it's more just, it's like you there, said, it's but. hard lighting. But in Warhorse, I think Warhorse is supposed to be like this idealistic gone with the wind style look especially when the horse is on when he's on the hill and you see the background it's all pink and 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 yeah, red. The, i think the that's scenes are like nice but like the mm -hmm. night scenes i notice kind of match i don't know maybe it's just the way i'm looking at them but well you change so, as a you change as a filmmaker I, as you I get, get older absolutely get older. i mean he changes in terms of like he's doing a lot more family fair now in the 70s and 80s is more yeah. big budget and then he's going into more like personal kind of historical dramas now i mean he's got phases yeah but do you think that he could do a movie like sugar land express now I would hope so. That's my big thing with directors and why I always defend Spielberg when people come to me about like, ah, Spielberg's not like, oh, yeah, it's all about this. Like, like everyone's like, oh, Martin Scorsese is one of the best. Martin Scorsese is great. Yeah. He only almost exclusively does mob movies. Ah, well, and I mean, that's did, not like, fair. Hugo is great and stuff like that. Like, but that's what I want. I was like, I want him to make a regular movie. Like Spielberg has done every genre. Like there's no genre Spielberg really hasn't tackled. 
So it's like, and they're all great. When you talk about like certain directors, it's like, yeah, but they only do this type of film. Mm-hmm. Like Quentin Tarantino's only going to do his little crime dramas where it's it's not like a nonlinear crime drama or Scorsese really focuses on mob boss pictures and kind of like hunkers down into that. And, and they're great directors, but they don't really branch off and do do something with every genre. And Spielberg has tackled every genre mm-hmm. and made classics in pretty much every genre, even even the ones that aren't like color purple. You know, his version of the color purple isn't exactly the one everyone talks about. Right. They, they always go with like the stage plays and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's still a great movie. He still tackled it. Right. Sugarland Express is in a, as a family movie that everybody like not family movie, but one of those kind of films like Close Encounters or E.T. It's a it's saving it, private Ryan. Right. He's he's gone and done everything. Yeah. So I would hope that with that encyclopedia knowledge of like I have done every genre, he can go back and do it. But I think he'd suffer from the fact that I think he's got such a filmmaking, let's say armada behind him. Like he's just got all this, all this stuff he can use now. He's got a lot of tools. He's got so many tools at his disposal where back then it's like he had nothing. So I, I don't know if he could. But to me, not. But, or if he'd want to. But to me, limit having a limit of tools is almost like, not to sound douchey, but the true essence of oh, filmmaking, yeah. like not having everything. Strip them back bare bones. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think there's something to be said for not giving somebody everything they want because then they're just going to be not saying Spielberg, but anybody is going to be lazy in their filmmaking and in their storytelling because oh, I'll fix it in post. That'll that'll add oh, Yeah. You know, like, oh, we'll CGI that. Like, no, let's figure it out now. Let's, I mean, you know, I, I, I use this term like it, it's dirty filmmaking back then. Like it's it's not perfect and it's not. Everything's not set up, you know, the, the way it's supposed to be. And like, you know, actors and actresses don't look beautiful in every single shot. You know what I mean? Like, like that kind of thing. Like there's something to be said for that kind of style. Like that's like when we talk about all these movies you talk about now, there's almost like for me, uh, when you watch, not the movies you talk about, the movies we see now that come out now, there's almost like a yearning for what I used to see back in the seventies and eighties, just kind of like the grittiness and the, and the, the graininess of the film and, and just kind of like the, the, the imperfect look of those movies back then are almost something I wish I had now and, and wish I could see now. That's why like in the nineties, in the early nineties, when like uh, indie film was like blowing up on the scene, like with clerks and all that stuff, like that was just raw filmmaking, people putting their stories out there. Right. And that, that was when you had such that you had that big boon of all that stuff. And that was great. And, you know, all and got gobbled got up and, yeah, we're not, and I, you know, and it, you kind of get that with like a 24 and the stuff that they put at Amazon studios, you kind of get that with a lot of that stuff. And, and I think that hopefully there's more of that coming, but I feel that we have gone off on a really far tangent. I think we're talking about Spielberg in the way he films <laughs> movies. I think this is I, we, pretty we, much what the episode We probably could, but let's, uh, let's get into the movie. Let's okay. talk, let's talk about Sugarland. So tell me something that I guess you stood out for you in terms of in the movie, maybe like with the character work or anything. And before, before we start gushing again about Spielberg, Oh, you want me to go non Spielberg? Just talk about, let's talk about the movie. Okay. That's what friggin' episodes about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, I really like that. I, I like William Atherton in this movie a okay. lot. And when he first appeared, I was like, Oh, this, this, this asshole. Like I was really <laughs> hoping he'd get shot pretty early on. Like he doesn't seem like he cares about, Lou Jean all that much. It definitely doesn't think, seem like he cares about Baby Langston. Yeah, in uh, the beginning and when she. Yeah, yeah you haven't even asked where Baby Langston is. Yeah. Like, who? 
Yeah. Or not who, but oh yeah, where where is he? Bring the boy. Yeah. Hey, why don't you bring him? There's kids a lot here, Lou Jean. They got candy for him and pop. I'm not behind bars in despair. You can bring him next time. You can bring him every week. That's what I come to tell you. Welfare's come and taking baby Langston forever. They're gonna keep him in that foster home. What for? Why are they doing that? Well, how am I supposed to know? I had a note here when I was watching it. Is are Clovis and Lugene delusional or are they naive? Like sometimes like like he comes off like he's just not very smart or not. But sometimes he comes off as like he is like he understands. Yeah, I, I but I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't under, I couldn't. So I couldn't get a grasp of their their dynamic because she comes off in the beginning as like very manipulative. Absolutely. Yeah. And then she kind of comes off as naive toward the end. Yeah, he, that's the thing. Like, I feel like he knows from like, I mean, at the beginning, he seems like a different character. But then afterward, he knows that getting baby Langston is pretty much impossible. I think uh, he knows that, but I think he's doing he it for her. When, yeah. So right. he wants to, or Lugene rather. So he wants to, you know, just please her. But he's trying to convince her, you know, in that van scene when they're watching um, Looney Tunes. Yeah. In the in the van, he's saying, you know, I love you, even if we don't get back, you know, baby lengths. And right. he kind of is looking at this realistically like I'm going on with you because you wanted me to Eugene, but well, it's almost like he knew as soon as he walked out of that prison because he had four months left that it was downhill from there. Right. You know, because it was just, it escaping. was, oh no, because then that guy was done, was guy Hubie. Hubie, yeah. Because they go with his parents. He's like, nobody escapes out of pre release. Yeah, laughing at him. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's I'm going to tell the guards for your own good. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so in, and so in terms of Lugene at that moment, I wasn't like a, I wouldn't say I wasn't a fan of her, but it was just kind of like, like I didn't, I didn't, I just, just like, what are you doing? You're, you're kind of, you're, you don't care. I mean, I get it. You want your kid. Cause she has that moment when they're in the car and, and everyone, like everyone knows about their story now. So when they go through the town, all the people are like giving her stuff in the car, like, Oh, and the one of the woman's like, you don't let everyone take your baby. You know, it's yeah. your baby, like stuff like that. Um, kind of like the route. And like, we should say that this is actually based on a true story, right? Which I apologize. So this was, this happened in 1969, same, same idea that, uh, but they killed him. When he, I don't think they had the chase at the end. They killed him when they got to the house. Same thing with the sharpshooters. He was shot in the neck, I believe, and then he died. But she went to jail, and then she came out, and she got, and she got the kid back, which is That's what saying, the credits, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was based on a true story. I'm, I'm sure not all of it, obviously, what we watched. Um, yeah. So I, I was a little just taken aback by their the two characters in terms of motivation their relationship, whether they were naive, how she was manipulative. But, you know, towards the end, one of the shots that I really like is, is the shot through the windshield when Captain Tanner enters. Like, I love Captain Tanner's intro. When oh, the shot where it pulls out and you're not next to him? No, 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 no. When um, he's driving behind them and it's a shot through his windshield and you see Lugene in the backseat and Clovis and she waves to him and you see- Oh, in the rear view mirror? You see his eyes. That, yeah, the, yeah that's, that's a great shot. That is a great shot. Um, and that should tell you right there, like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make this into a love fest, but you know, that's Spielberg. That's, that's something like, you know, like that's a really good shot. I noticed that shot. Like, that's really good. There's a couple of shots like that where it's like, Oh, Spielberg's like, 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 it's like, you're seeing him start to do his stuff. Like I thought you were talking about the scene where they're on the highway, sunset on the highway. Yeah. And you're the, it's the two, when the two guys in the green, uh, souped up cars. Oh, the Louisiana cops. Yeah, the Louisiana cops. God. They're driving and he's talking to his buddy on the, the radio. And they sing in the songs and we think we're in the passenger seat with him and it pulls out and we're actually outside the car and yep. then they drive back and we're still kind of driving with them. But we pull back a little bit 
yep. while the sun sets behind him. That shot is the shot that I was like, oh shit, that's that's impressive. <laughs> that's a that'd be a really cool shot now. Yeah. But back then must have been so much harder to do because there were aren't that many different types of dollies and well trams. And funny you should mention that. The, so this movie um was the first movie that that Panavision, they chose this movie for, well, they chose this movie. I'm sure Spielberg went to them uh, to use their Panaflex camera, which was a smaller compact camera back then. So he could use inside the car. So that's when they're behind the seat. So there's a shot when they're driving. And when Captain Tanner pulls up alongside them, he's on the left-hand side and they're having the conversation. Then he pulls ahead of them Mm -hmm. and they're still talking kind of over the radio. And then he pulls onto the other side onto the right side and then he backs off that shots in the can inside and he they, they do like a 180 kind of thing all the way around all the way around that the entire scene now that's him driving that's can't tanner driving that's them driving that's them in the backseat that's not no rig set up with them and stuff like that so that's a whole so i think that was where the panaflex came in in terms of that and, and in terms of what you're yeah, saying shot, yeah right so this is the first movie to feature a tracking shot from the front seat to the back oh really uh, yes this is the first movie to feature a 360 degree pan with dialogue from within the car, which is the shot I'm talking about. So there are a lot of firsts in this in terms of like, you know, use of the camera in the car. Do you remember in Minority Report when they're driving the minivan after the, the aliens uh, blow up everything and they're driving and all the, and all the cars are- You talk about War of the Worlds? Uh, excuse me, excuse me, War of the Worlds. <laughs> oh, Minority Report. Like aliens. Apologies. Do you remember in War of the Worlds <laughs> when they're driving around in the minivan and- um. Uh, cruises in there and they're like, and then she's like, what's happening? He's like, I don't know. But the camera's going in the camera's going from one side up around yep. going around the other yep. side in through the car, like that kind of thing. And I, I'm sure that's uh, with the aid of digital, but that's almost like Sugarland express. And then, okay. Updated. Now I have all the tools. This is the shot I wanted to do like this kind of shot. Yeah. Like, you know, side note is like that shot. I wanted to do that shot in one of the short films we were going to do. And I described it to my buddy, Adrian, like, this is a shot I wanted. I want to do it. So then we'll flash forward to, we're watching the movie and war of the worlds. And I turned to him, go, that's the shot. I was going to do. And he's like, can't do it now. I'm like, Oh, but yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I, I, you, again, you can see the beginning of like what he wants to do to what he can do right. later on. Absolutely. Um, I actually like the Louisiana cops because they're all like all badass. They're like, let's go. Let's I kick love it. that they have nothing to do with anything. They don't even cause the big crash. They just end up in the big crash. Well, they do that whole thing where like they do that whole thing where like, oh, the co- all the cops from all over the area are coming. So they have all these different shots of like all these cops just leaving, driving off, um, you know, getting food, like going to the the uh, uh, the car wash yep. and just keep driving like all that stuff. The co- cops are just like. Getting behind on this big ass chase that's going across the across the the state of Texas. That's three hours away. Exactly. Got yeah, a real no. call breaking her in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the cop stuff like when they're when they're following when the car, so they go on this huge chase across the country and it's just the one car that they're in the one cop car with slide and then all these cops are following them. It's like I kept thinking of. The Blues Brothers. I kept thinking of that. Oh, when, I can, yeah, especially like I when the kept big crash, when crash. Yeah, I just kept thinking about that movie, <laughs> and I'm like, my God, which makes sense because, uh, which is funny because Spielberg's actually in Blues Brothers. Yep. So I thought that was that was funny too. Um, what else? What else did you? Uh, what else stood out to you? I like the little bits of comedy in there, just kind of like the the two guys in the the Louisiana cops. I like the when they fill up for gas. Yeah. And. 
they get their gas. The guy's like, oh, you're going to pay for that? Oh, tell the captain, which was the oh, captain. Oh, the cops and when they all, all zoom in? all the cops in. steal all the gas. I yeah. thought that, that was great. Yeah. When they're eating the chicken, you want it? Well, maybe maybe a little piece. Yeah. Then he's eating the whole thing. You want it? You got one of those packages <laughs> eating all the chicken. Moments like that. Get the, a little bit of levity in the film. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question for you, though, before we go further. Ooh. I like questions. What the hell are those golden tickets she keeps getting at you all know the what? Texas places? I don't know. I looked it up. I was trying to look it up. Was it golden tickets or golden coupons? They were golden tickets because or Texas Gold, it was called on all the gas station signs, and she would get by these tickets. I thought it was going to have end up doing something with the plot, and then she just gives them away in the scene toward the end um, to the I, crowd. I, I thought she was going to use those golden tickets to buy like a new home or... No, I think, honestly, I think it has something to do with, was it called Texas Gold? It was called Texas Gold on the signs in the gas station. I think it has to do with, and this is going to reveal that we never were around during this time. <laughs> I think it has to do with the gas shortage. Maybe. Yeah, that was 73. So those tickets are worth gas. I think that has to do with the gas shortage. All right. So, because she's giving them out because you would use that to go get gas. So you would pay for that. Yes. I think that has to do with that. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes, those would be my tickets. answer. Yes. Yeah. That uh, that's what that is. I I believe that has to do with the gas shortage, which is you know, uh, I'm surprised I don't know this, but I mean, because you know, now I don't feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a couple other things I really like. I mean, it's it's the moment of moments of levity that I think really work for me. I mean, like the reporter asking to interview the two year old. The report, uh, that, that can we interview Langston? He's two years old. But you know that 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 should actually happen. Of course, so, like, of course. Yeah. Um, I like when the news van flips over when he shoots. Oh out my the god! Tire. Dude, that's the nice. stunt work on top. Oh that stunt guy falls over, and then the van that van landed down. on him. I thought that's what I thought. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's another thing why I love the seventies. Just but go. Yeah, he's it. actually in front of the van because he's the first guy that pops. He out. jumps. Yeah, he but, jumps, but he just makes. But it. there's guys on top of the van too. He's not the only one that jumps. Right, but they go down with it, so the yeah. van wouldn't go on top of him. The guy who jumps i didn't think he jumped far enough at first and then the thing came down I'm like how deep is that puddle yeah that's a, like, that's, a, that's an impressive stunt um so that was really cool i also like the old cup i like hubie's uh parents <laughs> i love, I love that they're still there they're, they're still there and they're just like oh shit our car is stolen they're just sitting there bickering their backs are toward each other and then the cop pulls up you have a car? Oh, it's a 1957 uh, baby blue, blah, blah, blah. Oh, all right. Stay there. Yeah, don't move. <laughs> just leave the no, they are still there this to this day. <laughs> I, I was I was expecting like another shot toward the end of them still being there. Or when like when like they first go to the when they first go to them and like, oh, you know, Hubie is no good. Some bit. I know I, I did what I tried to teach him. It's just like pissing all over his son. He's, he's like sitting there waving like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way they become folk heroes. I um not all, just William Atherton. I th- thought all the actors really did a great job. I thought Goldie Hawn was really good. Yep, I I really liked I really liked Ben Johnson as Tanner. I don't know. I I loved his intro. Tanner's really good because from the offset, he kind of feels for them. Yes, he's never that because you've got sliding the car, so you figure okay, he's going to end up befriending them, which is obvious, and right. it does happen. But then you've got Tanner, who you think in most movies would be out to get him, like I'm a, I'm gonna get you, like the villain, and, and the real other than the sharpshooters who are like really eager to shoot a, a woman well, and a guy they want to shoot their, their guns yeah what do you got there i got a seven millimeter magnum four power scope mauser action i'll be shooting 148 grain bullet at 300 yards hit a dime can you guarantee slide won't be hit at this distance oh absolutely well 
how am I going to know they'll be killed outright? If it's a spasm shot you're worried about, I figured to hit the boy in the brain and the medulla and cut his motors. What about the girl? Same thing, Captain. She'll be dead before the sound gets there. I like them. I like when they're all they're because they're like these like old guy and they got the put the, yeah they put the, the earwax the bullets no in no the no, ear no. they're putting the bullets in their ears. yeah to warm they're them up bullet in the air and they're just sitting there like shh, shh, and, and, then, and then when like forget it guys I can't take the risk and they love looking at each other and just like come on like they just they want to shoot yeah but like Tanner's not a villain right I like that there's really no villain in the film well they you have that his like kind of like his right hand man kind of guy like the guy who first who told the the Huey's parents to stay tight. He's always right. pushing. He's for pushing to, for yes. them to get killed. He's yeah. pushing for an end, a quick end to the right. operation. And I think once, because once those um, militia guys. Oh, the, the reserve coppers, sh- reserve cops who aren't really in there. Which I, f- I saw a lot of similarities with those. So these militia guys go and they basically like they see them and they just take it upon their their just to just to start firing just right. to kill them on their own. And then and then he comes back and then he he you know he's like they're not even real militia and then he busts up their car oh, and he yells that, yeah. at him, arrest them <laughs> like but um I found a lot of similarities with those guys and the guys in Jaws when they're the hunt they're, they're like the shark. exactly what are you gonna do that for they're gonna throw dynamite and <laughs> like I find a lot of similarities with kind of like people take townsfolk taking it under their own to do what they want and to go and you know get themselves in trouble and right stuff they're like never that. they're never shown in a good light right which you know. It's like mob mentality. So, yeah, absolutely. Which he does a lot. Like War of the World, he does stuff with yep. mob mentality as well. Yep. Like, I feel like that's a that's a big part of like a Spielberg feature, mm-hmm. which he's got, you know, familiar themes in a lot of his movies. Absolutely. So it's absolutely. interesting to kind of pick those out, which, by the way, if you're really interested in Spielberg, HBO's documentary on Spielberg. I saw that. I know you saw awesome. that. I should shout that out to anybody who's interested in filmmaking or Spielberg. Watch that documentary. It's awesome. very good and tells you a lot about why he does certain things. Right. I love I love when I love the scene when they're talking to Liam Neeson in that and he's talking and because Spielberg's directing him in Schindler's List and he's telling him how to smoke and make it whisk and then Liam Neeson goes back to Ben Kingsley and he's like I don't get it I you know he's just I don't know if I can work like this and Kingsley's like trust him you know and then it's just kind of like and Neeson was like and and then I saw it and I was just like you know I just I never you know I, I just knew it and I was just yeah. I was like yeah that's right. I feel like Spielberg doesn't tell people how to act but he he helps he, but yeah he helps he knows how the scene should look. He and knows what like he wants. Part of that is like, I don't think he probably tells his actors how to act because I just don't feel like that's Spielberg. Well, he, but I yeah. feel like movement and stuff like that, like to get that shot, because you can't have shots like Spielberg has, like the shots in the cars and all that, without having such a like a such a visual. Like basically, you see the shot before it happens. Yes. So movement and stuff, I feel like he's very big on. This is how you move. In this movie, um, he had. I guess he built a model. Like he has a model that he would go to to block out all the stuff with the cars. And I guess I didn't write it down, but I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. One of the producers produced this and um, it was Spielberg's first big movie. So he was kind of like not nervous, but just wanted to make sure that he was okay. Yeah. So he would get to the set early and he got to the set early one just to kind of like either to be back up or have he, he told people, Hey, just make sure kind of like, make sure he's doing all right. But right. then when he's he got to be more hands, right. So producer. when he got there, he had noticed that Spielberg had already gotten there and had blocked out the entire scene. And he was like, okay, he's fine. Like he knew immediately <laughs> like, all right, he knows what he's doing. We're good. So I thought that was interesting too. It's funny you say that blocking out you, there's like a dirt, there's like a, if you ever watch like the back to seat behind the scenes, Jurassic park, when the first scene, when the Jeeps come up and they're all getting in the Jeep, like, you know, 
they're just oh, great the set. The there's a there's a behind the, the scene thing where you see Spielberg saying like, okay, and he's got all the actors standing like, okay, then you're gonna go here and then have you walk around this way, and he's walking with them. He's like, and then we're gonna have you come over. He's right blocking the scene right there, so it's probably a lot of that. Not saying that nobody else does that, but well, you see a lot yeah. of directors like direct from like the side of the camera, right. not be in there and like really kind of like walk with them and be like, all right, now nah, you're right. doing this and really dragging out, really help you visualize. He's telling the story, the scene, right? Yeah, absolutely. which helps an actor. Right. You know, you don't want a director going, yeah, and then you do this. I mean, that's fine. But then mm. you're giving real a lot of power to the actors. Yeah. And then it's like you maybe don't have the best vision of your scene. Mm-hmm. You want to see what it might look like, mm-hmm. which is fine. That That's fine, too. But he definitely visualizes the scene beforehand, which right. probably helps a movie like this with the car chases and stuff like that. Uh, that's a, I was that was one of the with the cars and all that stuff. There's such a magnitude of in terms of filmmaking, keeping that all together, like just like all the people all the cars, all everything. Like when they go through it, like that's it's you're not dropping CGI people in there. So you have to get all these people. And a three million dollar budget, they probably didn't have enough. I mean, there's a when cars are dropping, I was thinking how how much money did he have for oh. his first feature? Oh, this couldn't have. Well back then you know it's probably not that much. Yeah. I mean you're probably amount. getting favors. You're probably getting old Texas old, te- old cars. cars. Yeah. yeah they're exactly. totaling a lot of cars, but I mean, they probably didn't have a lot of chances for do-overs. True. Well, they probably reuse a lot of cars in the crashes and stuff. They, I mean, they do probably reuse a bunch of cars because you get the old... Um, I mean, you see it in the movie, too. I think that's probably the excuse they use is <laughs> after that first bit of chase where they all get piled up, they park daytime, the uh, daylight papers. They oh. know where they're going. All the cars take off, kind of damaged, partly damaged you see and one stuff guy like fixing that. Them. Yeah, he's yeah. fixing the headlight and the car just takes off anyway. Yeah. So like you that's probably an excuse to use where he's like, all right, we can reuse these cars because the next day they're all going to be piled up and yeah. we're going to use them again. One of the other things I read about in terms of the acting, there was a note in there that um so Atherton comes from the stage. Okay. We've talked about this before, but like he always improved in terms of with multiple takes and, but Goldie Hawn was always strong in the beginning of her takes, but would falter um, midway and would rebound around like maybe 12 takes. This is what Spielberg was talking about. So he had to shoot. He, the way he set that up was he would shoot. So when they were together, he would shoot her close-ups first because she was strongest in the close-ups. Right. And then when Atherton's uh, and then he would do Atherton's close-ups until Goldie Hawn would get that second win and then he would go to the two shot. So he was, she would have to match up the styles of their acting when they were strongest, which I thought was interesting, which is, you know, filmmaking, you know, that's, that's part of it. But uh, I thought that was interesting that, that, that he had to like, kind of like match up when they were at their best to put them in the two shot together. What's interesting is that's also why Spielberg's so great. <laughs> talking about how great he is at the camera work, but then he does the character work so well with, with working with the actors mm-hmm. and playing to their strengths and knowing how to handle right. actors and, and their different styles. It's not just about getting five takes, you know, like you're going to be like, I'm only going to take six takes, six close-ups, go move to six wides, go, you know, six right. close of you go. It's always about matching up and always about how you want to tell the scene in terms of putting people in close-ups. And, but he, all his movies, like, if you ever watch, if you ever just go through his movies in terms of just kind of like watching shot selection, there are times when he'll like cut from a medium shot to a close up, and like nobody ever does that, and you're not, you're really not supposed to. But he's he's cutting to performance, and that's one of the things I said. You don't care because you're into the story, and the performance is strong, right? So he's always cutting to performance in the editing room, but I think he's always cognizant of getting the strongest take in terms of of when they're at their best, acting wise. I see that. Yeah. 
This was also the first movie that he worked with John Williams. Is this the first one? Because I noticed at the end when John Williams pops up, I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the music. No, me neither. The harmonic at the beginning was grating. That's, oh, man. <laughs> Which I, was not John Williams. That, was that, that's, guy. I forgot the guy's name. Oh, it was some stupid name like Clownin' John or Hummin' John or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> but anyways. Um, but it fit the movie. Like, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't a, like, a, like I'm not going to go buy the Sugarland Express score. Right. But it fit the movie, I thought, well. So in that regard, I with the movie, I was okay. Because even at the end when like uh, Slide gets the guy, gives him a gun back, and he's sitting there, and they've got the harmonica playing, and you just see the sunlight on the water, and he's just kind of standing there, and the credits roll. Like I thought that fit well. I just wasn't a huge fan right. of the score. Now, about that shot. Excellent. <laughs> so you like, I mean, I like that shot, but did you think it was, I, I don't know, do you think the cameras weren't ready for that shot? Because I don't feel like they Back picked then? up. Yeah, I, don't, I feel like that would be a great shot now. But I feel like that shot is so grainy. So like the camera is having such a hard time picking up the colors and the light that it, it almost looks like I like the idea of the shot. But I also think that it looks way shittier than any of the other shots in terms of just quality. That's a fair point. I You're probably right. Like, would you like you think like he needs to not be in shadow? I No, he does need to be in shadow because I think the shot that's how he wants the shot and the shot is is with if you did it in today's cameras it would be able to pick that darkness up with the light a lot better but i feel like the camera's having such a hard time with it it's grainy it's distorted it does it look almost looks like it's on different film stock than the entire rest of the film it, well it's also the the end of the movie so you're you're gonna get like that kind of like you have to you have to mix think of it back then you got to mix the film with the credits you got to have that you almost, think that kind of makes i think it i think it affects it, it. I think you're right. Maybe like if you had, if you're using, if that was shot today and using today's cameras, you're, you're mimicking the exact same shot today with today's cameras. You probably maybe get more color out of the sun. I feel like it would handle the contrast, you, but yeah, you might get more definition in in the shadow and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah I feel like they weren't shaped right. If I felt like the camera was like, what's what's the person and what's the the black lines in the in the water as it as the right. ripples go. Those credits are really italicized, like hardcore like i was like are they slanted like are, are they going are some, slanted those are some 70s credits they right were. there they were like really italic i was like that's a lot of italics right there so yeah but no that's a fair point i, I think you're right yeah um this was the first movie well not first movie i don't know i just keep saying that <laughs> the other ones were first movie so they shot this movie in continuity but he also uses the dolly zoom effect in this movie like he did in jaws and the one in vertigo yeah, the, the whole thing where you keep the foreground and you pull yeah, yeah he i think he uses it um during one of the car scenes. So there's one where the car comes toward right. the, uh, the back of the car. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He, so he, he uses that. that effect in this movie as well. Uh, it's more, obviously it's more famous for him in jaws. Um, but yes, he uses that here. The, I like the beginning shot. You were talking about the Texas sign. Well, yeah. What I like about it. I mean, I, you noticed like the tracking of it. Yep. I like how it begins and it almost looks like the movie's going to be black and white. Okay. And you open up on these signs, you open up on the gray sky, the grace of gray skies, the the couple of phone wires, and you peel back, still gray. Mm-hmm. All the signs are gray. All the signs are gray. The bus comes up, all gray. And then you see the ground. Mm-hmm. And the ground has brown in it. But until you see that brown, it almost looks like this film's going to be a black and white film, which kind of works with the harmonica. It works with the kind of folk hero, mm-hmm. kind of folktale nature of the film itself. I really like how that starts. That was my first note was I really like faking out that the film's going to be in black and white it turns out it's color it's almost like the color appears once the bus comes once she appears right like kind of like that's like she's the color in this 
Grey Whirl or something like that. Yeah, no, Kinda, that, that's I, a fair I point. Really like that yeah. shot. I really like that part of the shot. I was like the old guy taking apart the. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, he's like, it's like I don't know what that was. Oh, this is post-apocalyptic. <laughs> I feel like that's supposed to kind of be. It's similar in color to the car they steal. Um, okay. From Hubie's parents, so maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Maybe, yeah. It's a crash blue. Oh, maybe, car. yeah. Maybe just, it was just like a lucky accident. Like it was there. It was just some like, guy who was already it. doing it. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna keep doing this. All right, all right, fine. Well, you <laughs> well, funny. Well, you know what? I have this in my notes, and I'm gonna say this guy's name wrong. So, uh, <laughs> the uh, cinematographer that he was with, uh, oh, Vilmos. I'm gonna say this wrong. Vilmos Zygmunt. I, I I'm saying that wrong. V i l m o s, and then it's z s i g m o n d. He's done a ton of his stuff. He's done. Um, he did Deer Hunter. He did Close Encounters. Uh, he's let's see, get something newer. He's done for you. Um, Black I mean, Dahlia, two thousand six. So he did Jersey Girl. So he is he has done Ghost in the Darkness. Ooh, we should put that on the list. So, anyways, he's done a lot of movies. He's done a lot of stuff. So, anyways, so this one of his strengths was natural lighting, and I think they shot the movie. They chose to shoot the movie like a documentary. So that's probably what you're talking about right there, like in terms with of the just, color and stuff like that. Well, just, yeah, using natural light, documenting, not stylizing. Well, I do image. like the use of natural light. And I think that's what kind of separates it from his his later work now, which if he did a lot of Spielberg's earlier stuff. Yeah. Um, did you say Close Encounters on there? Yeah. So Close Encounters, I love in Close Encounters the use of natural light. I love the scenes in the kitchens and the dining rooms. I love the in the house scenes because they are lit. Right. Same with E.T. I love how those house scenes are lit because you don't see that anymore. You no. don't see that. It's like, messy. Messy, Dirty. dim, the yeah. dim light of like a yep. lamp. Yep. It's like everything now, If even if in an old house, in a scene in a movie, you go in, it's like there's overhead lighting. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not how most houses are, like modern houses maybe, but old houses are just lamps. Yeah. yeah. And they don't have lighting on the ceiling. You don't have those splashes of light everywhere. Yeah. You get these harsh shadows, and that's what his room scenes have. I think a lot of people give lip service to like motivated lighting. Like in terms of like, okay, I got a light here, but where are we saying it's from? Oh, we're saying it's from the lamp, like that kind of thing. So like okay. if we're we're sitting in a room and we want to light the both of us, we may, you know, we'll say like, oh, it's an overhead ceiling light. Like, you know, and like they then you kind of get a shot of it or something like that to tell talk about that's where it is, that's where it's coming from. I think now they don't care. They, yeah. They'll just they'll just be like, it's lit. Don't worry about it. I think and, that's and, what I hate. I hate to bring them up. Oh, you're doing do. it. I, I was almost going to do it. And then I was like, no, I won't. I'll be nice. The Marvel movies are oh. always lit like that. The Marvel movies are always lit with perfectly. Right. And like there's light, light everywhere. It doesn't and matter. They, they don't care. They, they don't, don't care. care where the light comes from. It's right. just, we're going to light it. How are you going to light it? Harsh. Well, it's a, it's a comic book that's brought to life. So who in the comic, you don't need, don't have it. So it's just, it, that's how it is. Some comics have Listen, harsh lighting. That's fine. That's a style. Listen, if they have a style, <laughs> that's the style of, it's going to look like this. Fine. And that's fine. But you're not going to what you're going to do is not get somebody to be like, I love the way this scene looks in this in, in Ant-Man and Wasp. Exactly. I don't I love it. It's just lit beautiful. you're not going to get that. And and that's fine. That's your choice. You know what? You doesn't matter. You're making millions and millions of exactly. money. So like, it doesn't matter. And I'm I'm watching them, too. Right. You're watching them. I, I mean, guess the douchey filmmaker yeah. in us will will more will appreciate more a movie like E.T. And, yeah. And not just because it's E.T. and it's so classic and but. Because of the lighting, because of how it exactly. looks. Absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoy the Marvel movies. I'm not saying they're the greatest things ever. But, you know, we come out of them where it was like, that was good. Yeah. But we never talk about, even if we talk about like scenes we like or like the funny parts of it, we're never talking about 
The look. The the look. We're never talking about the blocking. We're never talking about anything cinematically because they're really not pushing the boundaries. They're really not changing it up. They're not trying. Right. Because they don't need to. And that's exactly again, that's fine. That's completely fine. I'm not I'm not gonna that's not their style. It's not what exactly. they're aiming to do. And, right. You know, go on doing what you're doing. You're doing you're you're making money and I can't argue with that. I never will. <laughs> but right. I think we like that's like back to, to Tarantino, a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's coming out. That looks great. Looks great. Not that, oh, it's gonna be so hip because all these people in it, but it there's scenes that we see look really good. And right. that's why I'm into it. Cause I the blocking and the style and the look of it, the shot angles, all that stuff. That's what attracts me to a movie like that. Not because, oh my gosh, Brad Pitt and DiCaprio and 85 other people are in this movie. That's not what attracts me to the movie. Right. Well, Tarantino, I think less, he's less lighting. Tarantino is a lot more color. Tarantino plays with color really well. I just meant in terms of filmmaking. Right. Yeah. You're looking at a film. Yeah. That's coming out and saying, hey, this is a film. Right. Like something that I'm, you know, looking forward to. Right. Absolutely. And I kind of wish that Spielberg would do a movie like Sugarland again, like just be like, give me $10 million. I'm going to go do a movie. He could do it. If he said to listen, just give me 10 million. I want to go do a small movie. I want to shoot for three weeks with my friends and people, people would sign up to do that. Obviously they do friggin' free. And uh, you know, and he just, I'd really like to see a movie like that. Like, I just would like to see it. Not, I think he could do it, but I want to see it. I want to see it again. I think you'll get a smaller personal movie from him when it's he's he's getting toward the end of him, his career. Listen, he his idol is Clint Eastwood, and Eastwood's been doing movies into the '90s. So, actually, that's a good that's a good comparison with Clint Eastwood, because he his his movies are not super stylized. No, so like Gran Torino. His 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 lighting. He is very naturalistic. Yeah, he. His, I don't think he just doesn't do well. all that. Yeah, he does. He does stories that really. But anyways, um. I think one of the because I have a I have like three likes here, which is all of them is mainly. <laughs> but my likes were basically I talk about how the music fit. Not that I loved it, but it fit the movie. I really like Ben Johnson as Captain Tanner, and and we've been talking about it. I just love the filmmaking in this movie. I love watching this movie and just seeing the filmmaking coming through. And maybe that's because I'm biased towards Spielberg, and that's fine. I'm not going to apologize for that. But like I just. Every weird, all the shots we talked about, the way it looked, um, the blocking, just kind of like how we relate to the characters, all that stuff is a direct result of the people behind the camera, not just him, but people that he worked with. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I like this movie. One of the reasons why I want to suggest it, because everyone always talks about in terms of forgotten cinema, everyone always talks about Raiders and E.T. We, we've talked about them all, Jaws, Close Encounters, all right. these movies, everyone knows, and which they, they're great. But this movie is kind of like the beginning of him uh, doing all this stuff. And it's like, everyone just remembers Jaws. But like, if you're really into, if you if you like Spielberg or you're, like, you're into filmmaking, you should, you should watch a lot of the older movies from the 70s, not just the Sugarland Express, but this is a movie that it's probably forgotten because it's so old and I would think it's forgotten for movie aficionados and cinephiles who have not seen a lot of movies, a lot of older movies. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that's probably why I wanted to do this. And plus it's him. So 
It's our, it's our excuse to be able to get a Spielberg. Absolutely. <laughs> so next week we'll be doing Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. <laughs> uh, I like this movie. There's parts that shine through for me in terms of Spielberg, but there's some parts that, you know, just kind of seem pretty av- kind of average. Okay. A little bit. But since you've been going on and on about how much you love this film, it gushing over I, it. It's not perfect. I, 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 it's not perfect. I want you to give me a dislike. Oh boy! I have, to, specific, I have to come up with a dislike. Are your notes only likes? Yeah. I give me, give me, yeah. give me something you oh, didn't come like. Come on, give me something, man. Nothing's perfect. Let's go. Well, I will say, I will say that I didn't. The Foster family is really old. I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> um, I will say that. Okay, I, I mean, let me try to let me try to think. Like, I don't the Lou Jean and Clovis relationship. Like when I talked about how are they delusional or naive, I think mm-hmm. I was a little like I didn't like Lugene in the beginning. So I think that that one that's a dislike, but maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe that's the intent. But I was not like 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 sometimes like especially like Clovis comes off as buffoonish. And I didn't know if that was on purpose or that was an acting choice or whatever. I, I Maybe I just wasn't a huge fan of some of the choices that they were making, not just the actors, but maybe the director as well. So that might be one. There's only one real character of the cops, which is Captain Tanner. You kind of get his like the the guy that always is pushing him to his right hand. Yeah, guy, yeah. You kind of get like the sharpshooters are a character, and they're like real eager to like you know they did like when they're in the house and they shoot, and then they're like get them, and, like, and they're the breaking windows, the windows. It's like, like you get a bed for that, you know. So I guess in that regard, I maybe maybe I wanted a little bit more. I mean, but do I need that? Do I need to have a scene where Captain Tanner sitting down and pontificating about Lou Jean to the other? Like, I like the fact that he doesn't tell them like his thoughts. Like he like you get the idea that he doesn't want to kill these guys. He knows that he feels bad for them. And ultimately he has to because of they're just just, just too much now. And he's got to he's got to stop them. And Which is whole, what he kind of says to his second hand. Like, right. You're not going to let him take the baby. I don't see how I can. Like, Right. You ain't really going to let him take that baby, are you? I don't see how we can. I think it's, uh, you know, maybe that could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But I like that it wasn't as well. Like, I like I like how I had to, I had to like, figure that out. Right. But I mean, is that good enough? Those good dislikes? That's fine. I have, I, a, I have a similar complaint I with don't, the two I characters. Don't, I don't, I don't, like, I'm not telling you, like, if somebody says, like, list your top 20 Spielberg movies, I don't even think this would be in it. He's made more than 20, right? Yeah, but. I so, mean, I, I, so, but I, I think I, I like it just because it's, it's almost like it's, it's pre everything else. So that's fine. I just yeah. wanted to find a dislike. Come on. Because when you like a movie, you like a movie, and then it's, oh, it's no. It's stuff. I told you, there's always some. I, I, I the last episode that's out, the the episode for the A team. I told you in that episode that there's always it. Nothing's yeah. Nothing's perfect, and nothing's ter- nothing's absolutely terrible. There's always good and bad and everything. So. I was just wondering if you could find something. I did bring it. Well, what did you find? I have a very similar complaint about Lou Jean. I feel like she's responsible for Clovis's death. I feel like yep. Clovis. I didn't like at the beginning, and I start to like him more. I feel like Lou Jean just. I never really get a feel for what what what's she all about, and then like the fame starts to happen, she's really into the fame, yeah. and I'm like, uh, you're in this for baby Langston, get your head right. in the game, and then Clovis, I feel like smartens up as he's going through, and he's he realizes what they're doing and what the end point is, and when slides like, no one's here, why is this so empty? Use your head. Clovis knows what's gonna happen, and Lugine forces him out of the car anyway, and then she's like, Clovis, get back in. It's mm-hmm. like. You you made this happen. That's fair. And I did not like 
uh, Goldie Hawn's reactions at the end when she's freaking out and throwing everything out the window. I thought that was a little too much. When at the end chase when Clovis is is dying, is, is right. dying. he's right. driving toward the border as fast as he can, and she's like ripping her hair out and shaking her head back and forth. I thought that went from a realistic portrayal of a human to just stylized nonsense, just what you would see, like a woman overreacting back in like the sixties and seventies. Like, right. I didn't like that that choice. Okay, it's fair. I can I can I can get behind that that thinking. So I think I had the same. Similar complaints with you, like the yeah. character. The characters are, I mean, maybe that speaks to like maybe like what they were like. Sure. I mean, who knows if they actually went and talked to you know different people in the scene. The whoever slide is right, based. You're on, saying, you know, yeah, okay. Like this is what they were like, and they're like, all right, yeah, I can use this. Yeah, slide slides almost like he's he's not like jokey, but like he's like straightforward. When stuff starts happening, it's kind of like, uh, like, you know, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, I, I like him a lot and he's I like good. his reactions to everything. He's trying to be on their side and he does kind of like him, but he's still trying to be a police officer the whole time and calming them right. down and doing what he's learned um, as he goes, which is I, I like when they're bickering. I was like, you know, we do a lot more than just patrol things. I can I we I deal with more uh, marriage <laughs> issues than you guys. <laughs> Or like when he's trying to tell him, like, you know, you, you get me in that car, it's going to be kidnapped. And he shoots and he's like, all right. And he gets yeah. in the car. <laughs> I like when he's got the drunk guy in the back seat. He's oh like, my I God. arrested you before. I arrested you before. I know that. And he was like, well, you can't have both of us in the back seat. When I get back here, you better be gone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seat better not be wet either. No. What? No, you ain't never arrested me before. I don't know you. Yeah, that, guy's, <laughs> that guy was funny. So, yeah. So, okay. I can get behind what you're saying about Lugene now. Also, my last like of the movie. Oh, okay. When they're at the chicken shop. Yes. I love the rotating chicken sign. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious. I was like, I, I want a store with that. that. That's the kind of stuff you don't see anymore. The rotating chicken? Like the rotating chicken, those kind of like, you know, how every ice cream shop back in the day would have. Like oh, ice cream right, right. Like, like the rotating glass chicken. I, honestly, that's I probably that still there. That's like probably, that I mean, where we're, you know, they rebuild and build everything up in the Northeast, but I bet you across the Midwest, you probably still got that stuff. I, need to buy I mean, chicken sign. What's up? <laughs> I need to buy I want to see, sign. I want to see the original McDonald's, like. You, you you saw you see the founder? I haven't seen it. I I have seen pictures of the original. That, McDonald's, that's though. actually a good one for us. Uh, that's about Ray Kroc, Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc, who um you know starts McDonald's well, doesn't start. It's about the story of McDonald's, right? But they have the 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 original McDonald's where the golden arches are actually come up from the ground and they go over the building. The buildings on the ground and you know the golden arches are are part of the building. They're not. They're not. It's not a sign, right? Um, and there's still some of those out there. I'd like to, I'd like to go. I mean, I can only get fries cause I'm a vegetarian, but like, I'd like to go out there and just kind of like, you see know, it see it. it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Cause I think that that's like kind of like, yes, it's an iconic part of, of, of our past. Like right. those kind of like the fast food joints and stuff like that. And so, we're yeah. done. <laughs> so I think we've pretty much covered the movie. I mean, we yeah. kind of just, we kind of gushed over the filmmaking and Spielberg because you're just a hardcore fan and I'm just kind of like laid back. And <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the big part of the movie. If right. you're watching it is, is it's a simple story and it's elevated by his, his mm. filmmaking. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So um, I guess we're at the time when we talk about other stuff we do. All right. Um, go ahead. All right. So I've got two other podcasts that I do. I've got cracking one open with Mike and Elise. It's a podcast about brews, news and pop culture reviews. We crack open a different craft beer every episode. We talk a little bit about the brewery, the history of the brewery, the style of beer, the flavor, the notes, um, maybe even fun facts about the beer if it's a collaboration or if the beer is a new style or an older style, come back to life. And then while we're uh, sipping on that brew, we give you the latest news and reviews in like kind of 
pop culture in terms of like what's on Netflix, Hulu, television, movie news. So if you're interested to hear me talk about more kind of like modern stuff that maybe we're not going to talk about in Forgotten Cinema because it's a little bit more popular, um, that's where you can kind of hear it on Cracker One Open. Uh, that's Cracker One Open with Mike and Elise available wherever podcasts can be found. My other podcast is Two Player Bros that I do with my brother Alex, where we're two brothers who play way too many video games. Every episode we talk about previews, reviews, news in the video game world. We have all the systems, so we review pretty much everything that we can. And uh, yeah, so both of those podcasts are available wherever podcasts can be found. So please, if you like the sound of my voice, if you're interested in those other things, take a listen, rate, review, subscribe. As well as our podcast, Forgotten Cinema. Please rate, review, and subscribe, Forgotten Cinema. Come on. I was going to say that at the end after we do. Oh, that's right. I apologize. We'll, we'll wait for that at the end. Um, I've got, uh, I've, if you go to my personal website, michaeldfield.com, you can see all the stuff that I'm doing. I haven't updated that blog in forever, which is my bad, but whatever. Um, I've got two books out. Uh, they're available at amazon.com and paperback and uh, ebook. Uh, that, that's part of the Adam Parker mystery series. You can just type Adam Parker. It'll pop up. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Sweet. Sorry. If you like what you heard today, um, if you're a first time listener or you listen all the time and you just haven't done it yet, please like, subscribe, review, spread the word, share our podcast. If you have other friends that like movies that or if you're a cinephile, and you want to get other people kind of maybe into it um, by listening to a dialogue about movies and people who love it, um, then tell your friends about it. And then join us uh, next week. We'll be talking about the David Lynch directed movie, Blue Velvet, which uh, did you say you hadn't seen? I have seen Blue Velvet. Yeah, okay, you have seen. But when we mentioned this in Mixed Company, I, who said they didn't like it? They said they hated it. Oh, uh, oh our, our buddy Greg. Yeah, yeah. so and he doesn't, he's he doesn't got, like yeah, he's, he's yeah got don't listen taste. to him. So we're going to talk about Blue Velvet, which I have not seen in quite some time. So I'm interested to see if I, how much I like it. I did like it when I first saw it, but I'm interested to, to see if I uh, still I, like it as much. I don't think he's going to like it. Oh, nice. No, I might. I might. David Lynch, is, it's, a, it's a, an acquired taste. So so that's next week. We'll be doing Blue Velvet. Thanks for listening. My name is Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.